What is Demystifying Research? Hosted by me, Kelly Harris. And me, Catherine Hoyt. Demystifying Research is a space where we dialogue on training, careers, and all things research. Everything from is research right for me to thinking about applications, mentorship, which research degree is right for me, handling failure and rejection, CVs versus resumes, and funding. This is a space where we engage in discussions around the questions we all have or have had when considering a career in research and science. As clinician scientists, we seek to answer questions and address issues that aren't clearly addressed in more formal spaces, things that weren't addressed in our clinical training, questions that we may not know how or where to begin to seek answers. This is not a space only for scientists and researchers, but for anyone who may be interested in science and research. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. I am Razan Hamed. I am, in this life, I am an associate professor at Columbia University in the uh, occupational therapy programs. I have been an OT since 2003, um, been in academia since 2008, and um, my clinical background was in mental health but I've been teaching research um, methods courses and research projects, and I'm mentoring OTD students for a while now. So, you know, I do all things research, and um, that's what I do. I know you do a lot more than that. What else are you involved in? Well, I I wear a lot of hats. Um, I am, um, I like to call myself like a, a huge advocate for, social justice and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I'm in all committees, DEI, in, in my places, uh, at the university. I'm, I'm, I'm involved with the AOTA. I'm a member uh, of the committee there. Um, also, I love the admin work. So I, I do a lot of, you know, service in my my program. I'm, um, I'm the head of the curriculum committee. I love everything curriculum and um, designing curriculum and courses. I'm the director of the research curriculum at, at Columbia as well uh, in my program. So I, you know, I designed the, the research courses and I oversee what research outcomes do we want for the program and how do you like that to our, you know, curriculum design and, and the mission and vision. What else? Uh, that's it. In in my, you know, in my other life. I am a mother of three. Uh, I have two girls and a boy and uh, happily married. Um, what else? And I- Excellent. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really interesting to hear, and this is like not on our topic at all, but how did you end up in a research career? It is so funny. Um, I wish I have like an inspiring story to tell about how that happened. Uh, but I think I do believe like in, 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 in fate or destiny. I don't know what the, the right word for it, but, um, I, um, I started wanting to be a computer scientist. Uh, and that's when I started like as an undergrad major. And then they started giving us all these programming assignments. And I realized like I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Um, so I dropped out of the computer science and I joined uh, this new thing that my friend at the time says like, oh, there's something called occupational therapy. And obviously they are, you know, they need people to get their master's and PhD to come back and teach in the university. Would you be interested in something like that? I was like, I, said, I have no idea what that is. What is it? And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, people who work with disabilities and, and sick people. 
And at the time, it's like, I, you know, I had no idea what that is. So I switched uh, majors and I, I ended up loving the, uh, the profession. And um, at the time we graduated, you know, the top students, they said, we need people to get, you know, uh, masters and PhDs and teach because we had no OTs in the country whatsoever. We had no OTs in adjacent countries either. And that was in Jordan. Um, I, I should have said that. It's like, you know, I started my um, undergrad in Jordan. I was, you know, born and raised there. And then um, I said, I was like, yeah, sure. Why, why, why not? I'll, I'll get a PhD. I don't know what that is, but I'll, I'll, I'll get it. And then um, because we, there was no distinction as, as much as there is now, like what a doctorate degree is, at least like, you know, where I uh, was at the time. There was no such thing as clinical doctorate in, in my country. Actually, um, it is not, you know, something that people seek. Uh, usually the PhD is the thing to go uh, for. So I did, I, I came to the U.S., I got my PhD, and then I I took the path of academia and uh, research after that. But it wasn't that inspiring at the beginning, so. I think it's inspiring. You found your way to some, <laughs> to, and now, like you, before that, you were saying how much you loved being in research and all the things research, but you know, right? Yeah, now I was gonna say, I think it's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it started with a computer science and I ended up with clinical research instead. So it's, yeah, I'm happy where I am. I'm happy you're here too. <laughs> Should we move on to our movie? As you know, we started off with this kind of why did we pick this video? So we could start there. Um, my you know, my instinct is to just like. What did you think? Um, but yeah, why pick this video? So that's really a kind of a question for, for you, Catherine, maybe. Oh, somebody, I mean, if you want to talk about uninspiring stories, someone recommended that I watch this and sent me the link and I like noted it down and I was like, we should do this eventually. Uh, that was the initial why. But, um, you know, we the, this movie, it's called, for anybody who's listening, uh, the Picture is Scientist, produced by Uprising LLC, and directed by Ian Cheney and Sharon Shattuck. And it's focused on uh, what our perceptions are when we think of what a scientist is and how women have fought to be in that space. Uh, and I think as we think about rehabilitation specifically, um, and a lot of people in those fields more so uh, more so than other fields are female and um but in research we don't see that same um i don't know how to exactly what to say but like in in research and science and medicine those fields are still predominantly male and so i think for all of us in in health professions trying to break into research careers can be especially intimidating and um and so that's why I, I kind of wanted to watch it. I don't know what either of you think or what, why you think a movie like Picture a Scientist might be important for people in our field, in our fields. Kelly, you want to go or? Um, no, yeah, I think I, a lot of what you said, Catherine, and I think specifically, you know, even in, um, and I, I feel like you might have been saying this at the end, like even in fields like ours that are not male dominated, um, when you think about hierarchy, mm. it certainly is, right? And when you think yeah. about the research component, it certainly is. And I think 
Um, that speaks to kind of the same storyline that this movie is really covering, right? Um, so that was that was kind of what I was thinking about. I think a lot of the same reasons we shared, though, you know, what do you, yeah, you know, what do we picture and how are we kind of socialized to to think about it in this way? I liked a little how they covered you know, the the kind of general bias piece, right? Like women are complicit in this also. Um, and so thinking about that. So yeah, that's that's what I think. I don't know. What about you, Rosine? Um Honestly, like watching this movie was like um, just, it, it was a reminder of how the story of plot never changes for women, you know, whether it's science, whether it's academia, whether it's, um, um, you know, even art, it's, it's just the same story over and over. And as if like, you know, there's not a one good place for women to shine except the wrong places. And that's kind of like, you know, it is sad and it's, it's, um, it's hurtful and it, it makes me mad sometimes, like how I'm so sick and tired of the understatement, underestimation of, of women's um, abilities. It's sickening to see how we are always misrepresented and underrepresented in these areas as well. And again, it's like, you know, it's only in the wrong place that you could shine. Like, you know, and I, I hope I'm not like offending anybody, but, you know, working in, in, in Hooters could be, oh, yeah, you'll shine there. But it is you know, kind of like it's the wrong place to to be in the wrong reason. Um, and if you, you know, if you look at the professional paths, it's um, it's not a good story. And it's it's same, the same story um, keeps repeating itself. And I keep thinking to myself, it's like, you know what? Um, you live in a reality for so long that it, it, you don't remember it anymore. And it takes a documentary to kind of like awakens that logic system in you. And it's like, you know, why aren't we talking about this more often? Why aren't we addressing this? Why are we talking to our students about, you know, um, you know, the status of women, especially in, in, in a profession predominantly, you know, women. And it's like, I feel like, no, we're not doing enough to, you know, promote that empowerment piece of women on professional paths. And as Kelly said, that hierarchy even with uh, you know the majority of women, um, we still struggle in different ways. It's um, it's the story from different angles, because it's a profession uh, predominantly women. It's like we 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 have other challenges. I think. Yeah. Sorry. Go I, ahead. No, I was just going to say. I think um, the other thing I think about, um, and and not to take the emphasis off of women because I think that is where it belongs, but this is harmful also to men and our children, right? Thinking, I was thinking about, you know, they, they did the test where, you know, you associate all of these words about home with women and thinking about that. And I just think about the harm that that does, you know, broadly to everyone, but also to, um, yeah, I guess I think about like my son, right? Who might not want to do some of these things that we are socialized to feel like, well, this is what it is to be a man. This is what it is to be, you know, um, successful in a workplace and how you're supposed to differentiate yourself. Because um, there are subtle messages, right? About differentiating yourself from women specifically, right? The thing, And so I think that there are all of those messages that, yes, it's angering as a woman, as a woman scientist, as um, as a Black woman scientist also, Right. Because I think there is that um, 
intersection also. Then I also think like, I mean, this is, um, yeah, it's harmful to science broadly and to all of the, you know, um, this is specific, you know, to science, but I think other careers see similar challenges. So yeah, um, I don't know. That was, that was just what I was thinking about. What were you going to say, Catherine? Just a couple things, but what you were just saying was making me think also, like they brought this up at some point in the movie that when you limit who has access to that career or who who's successful in, in the, a career as a scientist, it limits the questions that are asked. So like, we don't even know what questions aren't being asked because people aren't there or they're being intentionally left out or unintentionally left out um, from, from those tables. But I think like what, after Razan was talking, I was thinking like in the field of OT and I'm not sure if it's the same in speech, Kelly, but men on average make like 10 grand more than women at like, just as practicing clinicians with the same degrees. And that boggles, like, I can't, I can't fathom this. And I don't know why we're not talking about it all the time. Um, because I'm I mean, I can, confused. I might, I don't know, but I would stake large amounts of money on the fact that that's true in speech also. Right. Um, but I think it happens because we don't talk about it, right? At like, all. You know, if you're at, at a state institution where it's supposed to be public, perhaps people know and can identify it. But I think in academic institutions broadly, you're not supposed to talk about it. It's frowned upon. Sorry, that's mm-hmm. my dog whining. Um, but yeah, so like it's easy to have these and it, and it you know, I don't, the why it starts, I guess, is the question you're probably asking that. And I don't know the answer to that. But I feel like we perpetuate it by these systems that discourage transparency and discourage equity, essentially. Right? We work I mean, in these spaces that, that at our university. I feel like talking about like there's some level of transparency, but then there's also like, oh, there's these different job title positions that you could go, like, you could manipulate the system if you knew it well enough, but it's not transparent so that, like, not everybody has access to manipulate the system in the same way. Or, yeah, or to just even, like you said, have the knowledge. Um, And, you know, our value is tied so heavily to salary. Uh, And, you know, the fact that it's still happening. This is still the case in 2022. We're not in the 60s or the 70s anymore. It's like, we're, it's we're, it's still a problem. And with all the movements, yeah, I was like, you know, with all the movements, you know, the, the movie was inspiring in a way that's like, you know what, when there's a, a, a will, there's a way. And that was very clear, you know, if it wasn't for the persistence of these women, um, there wouldn't be these, you know, change in the culture and change in at the institutional level. Like, you know, I love the examples they put it toward the end of the movie about like, here's what change is happening. But I kept thinking to myself, it was like, one, it's not enough. Two, um, it, it's still happening though. I mean, like this movie is, is, is fresh and we're still, you know, struggling to tell the story and struggling to make the change. Um, well, what pissed me off about that, actually, like I loved the examples they gave in all of the efforts that many women have put forth and, and come together and collected data to demonstrate objectively how they are worse off at some of the most prestigious universities in the United States. One of the main examples was MIT. But like what pissed me off the entire time was those women were like chemists, biologists, geologists, 
And they were spending half their week or more compiling information about how big their offices were and how fast they were promoted and all of this information instead of their science. When I would say not like spending half as much time, but on top of their full workload. Yeah, right? that's a better way. So to put it. I think thinking about that. Um, I don't, so, so for those who haven't seen it, right, it's kind of these two separate cases, like thinking, you know, both about the inequities that women face just entering the door when we think about salary, workspace, all of that. But then the kind of challenges you face once you get in, right? So looking at kind of this um, sexual harassment piece, in addition to like the just surface level, more passive inequities. Um, and thinking about the work and the labor that like you not only have to endure and kind of overcome, but then you have to be the one to fight and know that like you're not going to be supported or how hard you'll have to work to get that support. I think that's one of the things I was thinking about that um, in the case of the the, the Boston Title IX um, uh, suit, you know, she had to wait till she was gone and tenured to be comfortable enough to to bring it out, right? To make the report. Um, and, and then, yeah, to what you're saying, Catherine, like thinking about all the extra labor that goes into that. You know, you have to measure the size of your space to prove something that is blatant and obvious. That's and like you have to be the best to. already, or like, you know, right? The best of the best. Um, and, and like, they also highlighted how isolated all of the women at MIT specifically, right? So there's 15 or so women who are all excellent at, you know, their respective fields, but they were very isolated. Um, I thought that was interesting too. I also like, I loved how she said, um, you know, I, I can't remember which one, which, you know, um, person said that, but it's like all this effort just to be visible, which is, it's like digging from the negative just to be on the surface. And then you need to build your way up. And it just sounds so, um, again, so deflating to an extent. It's like, you know, you, even if you're the best in your field, even if, if you're like a brilliant person, respected, well-published, you still need to first, you know, be visible, let people see you, and then maybe work your way up in your career to be recognized or uh, awarded or, you know, um, known for your work. I think, you know, like that, it, it, I don't know if surprised is quite the right, I'm not sure what word I want to use, but like they brought up the unconscious bias that I think we often talk about in relation to um, race or other ethnicities and backgrounds or religions. Um, but I haven't thought about it so much just for gender. And, um, and they brought that up that even that, you know, comparing resumes of, you know, exact same resume, a male resume is going to receive or like a, a presumed male based on, on the name is going to be, um, seen as much more credible and knowledgeable, prepared, and their experiences, you know, more golden and perfect. But I do have to say, it's like, you know, one of the things that um, I didn't think, that's why I was like, you know, kind of cynical about this is the fact that only, even with all that effort, it took allies, male allies to make this happen. 
So, you know, the, the, the case at the, you know, BU or MIT, it took uh, the provost or the president who is like a white male to actually give voice to this case and to this issue. If it wasn't for, for that person uh, who probably started the process, uh, maybe it could have seen the light in a way or another if it wasn't for him. But um, it's kind of sad. It's like you still need an ally uh, a bunch of them, actually. And and one of them says, like, you know, powerful ones in the right places to make it work. And I feel like, you know, not everyone have access to these allies. And, not, you know, it's not easy to find someone who believes in, 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 in your cause. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's true. When we think about it from a, you know, race and ethnicity, that's, that's the case also, right? Like, um, it takes some, it, it oftentimes, I think, takes that, person with influence, power, access to the right places to kind of open the door and move things and, and not move things forward. Because I, I think that, you know, um, activists in all of these areas are doing the labor, right? But it's actually, like you said, you know, kind of being visible, being heard, actually getting something done. But I question their, they're actually being allies, right? I think that these are strategic moves. And I think that the presidents and provosts in these places are not necessarily doing it because they want to. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I don't know their actual motivations, but I do think that there is a strategic component of that that says this is the right call, right? And so a lot of these things, it's about, you know, you know, thinking about like entrance convergence, right? Like where, you know, feminist interests converge with university interests is the place that is the point in time at which these... Uh, you know, the reason that these specific cases were able to, to have the impact that they had, right? Um, so not necessarily the goodwill or good intention. And I thought I was critical. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, you but know, you I, know I, I see it. Once you said it, I see it. I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, how do I know that they were like allies? You're right. Yeah, I think... Um, it, so I mean that just makes it so much harder to me too because it's mm-hmm. it's about like the right time it's about the right moment it's about the right conditions that make this the right decision not just because it's the right thing to do which is what it should be but it has to be not only the right thing to do it has to be the right time to do it and the right conditions and the right people and the right places and all of those things all of the dominoes have to be lined up pretty perfectly um, which is is kind of crazy yeah. I think that that's like a really good point, but also, you know, like as we're thinking about how do we make change or, you know, people that perhaps are listening now or going into their PhD and thinking about like, so what if I experience this? How do you act upon it? Because there is a a place time people, like how can you have this? I don't know. Where am I going with this? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Well, I mean, I think (laughs) think about the student, right? Who didn't get to finish? Well, yeah, the student, I wasn't actually thinking about the movie. I was thinking about my own life, even, you know, like as a PhD student and struggling with some of these things, you know, what, who, who do you get in the room? Yeah. That's the question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, and I think it's, I I don't know. I don't know that I have a good answer to this, right? I guess I'm just, um, thinking like I think first about how to even identify it right I think I'm so used to um kind of ignoring the microaggressions in my life that things have to be really rough for me to even like stop and even feel like I should and could do something about it 
And I think that's just, a, you know, a function of, right, like dealing with it every day, all the time that you kind of make light of it. But I think um, there are situations in which you have to, you know, you can't move forward without kind of addressing these issues. And then what do you do, especially if you don't have power, influence, access, or folks, you know, willing to stand in your corner? Yeah, to me, um <clears throat> And I think, you know, one thing I took out of this movie, that, so the struggles of, of women, there are two types. The struggle of white women, and then you have the struggle of women of color. I do identify as a woman of color. Um, and um, I think the layers that goes into that is even more complicated than, you know, the first layer of, of struggles. Because as, as Kelly said, you... You face, you know, the microaggressions, the assumptions, the stereotypes, uh, the aggressions, the bias, you name it. Uh, and, um, but, um, and that affects, and I love what Rachel Burks, uh, Dr. Burks said in, in, in the movie is you get so consumed and so exhausted by all the, the, the micro processes and the micro thoughts that goes into your head that you, that takes away from anything else you're doing. And that's exhausting. It is exhausting. And, you know, it takes a toll on your sense of, of competence. It takes a toll of your sense of, of belonging and, and fitting. And, um, but where I am right now, I'm personally, uh, where I am right now for those who are doing their PhDs and going through any kind of struggle, whether it's like, you know, the first layer of struggles or the, the extra struggle, uh, tier, I think, um, my advice would be not to lose the fire in you. Um, and I know it, it's easily, you could easily be deflated, but every one of us, and I think that's a woman thing. We all have like a little spark and it goes up and down. As you said, some uh, Kelly, sometimes it takes so much to light up that fire and it just happens. And sometimes you put it on, on, on dim all the time, but never lose it. Uh, keep that spark and keep that, <laughs> I love the emoji. Give that fire uh, because um, there's no other options. It's not an option that you give up and and, and get fatigued. Um, you know, advocacy fatigue. I think it's it's real, but we 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 can't afford to to lose that. So my advice would be keep the fire, recognize the bias, speak up if you can. Uh, I think you said something brilliant, Kelly. I think being strategic about what you do also is important and it's part of playing the game if that's what the game is you know be strategic and be intentional and calculate what you do for the benefit of you and others uh but under no circumstances you should not just you know normalize it i think that's where things will be that's where the culture of compliance is and conformity and that's where we learn just to you know uh stay put i think yeah, I just was thinking about that too. I think the other thing is that, like, like you said, not normalizing it, which means we all have this responsibility, right? And if we're all doing it, then it's easier for everyone, right? Because it it does, um, it does create it, it change. That's how you change the culture. I, I agree, Catherine. Um, just noted that the that what Rosanne said was so beautifully said. I um, agree. I think, yeah, that that you know, if if everybody is speaking up. Um, then that's that that's a shift in the climate right there, and then it's not such a burden when you you know you don't feel so alone. Right. I think that's such an important thing is like not feeling alone and feeling like 
that there are people in your corner. And, um, you know, as you had said, there are kind of two two layers of or more. There's intersectionality between so many different identities that get stigmatized um, everywhere. And uh, I was going to say in this country, but I think, you know, there's racism, sexism um, and hatred for many minoritized groups around the world. But, you know, I think when people feel left alone or when their peers maybe are um either have unconscious bias or are just biased jerks or um <laughs> are, maybe don't uh don't even aren't even aware that they are excluding someone or not including them in, in something because uh for whatever reasons that they have or it's, um I was actually talking with a with a friend last night who's going through a graduate program who was talking about feelings that she was not included and concerns that it was or she she expressed some concern that she felt that like all the other girls were a part of the dominant culture group and for some reason or another were excluding her and that and the impact of that is is much greater than i think a lot of people are willing to recognize and so i think all i'm trying to communicate is creating, I think what Kelly was saying, and I'm taking way too long to get there. So I hope that Taya and Caitlin edit this down somehow, but uh, (laughs) um, we have to do more to create a culture that where we are all striving to include everyone. So we don't lose any of the questions. And what I loved so much about what you said, Razan, is like, under no circumstance, should you leave? If you are pursuing this research career, we need your questions and we need you here. And if you leave, then then we lose the opportunity to learn. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But then I also am like... Some people got to get out. <laughs> well, you know, um, who are we to say you must endure? This? That's true, too. Right? I mean, I agree that, like, <laughs> yes, don't leave. But then we have to also be simultaneously working on this and to, you know, change that climate so that people don't feel the need to leave, right? Um, one of the, I think we've kind of, everybody's brought this up to some extent, and it's a critique I have, I think, of the the film, is that I, I don't think it dealt with the intersectionality enough. And I think that for many women, um, intersectionality is a huge piece of this. And so I felt like, um, yeah, it was an opportunity, it it's a missed opportunity, right? Um in the whole documentary, it was really, um, it, I, I just, I don't know, I felt like it fell short there for me. Um, there were some statistics thrown up. It was kind of thrown in here and there, but it was very light touches yeah. to me. Um, and so I would have liked to have seen more of that address. And I think, you know, you can't, everything, one movie can't be everything for everybody. That said, um, you know, when we think about what, um, what we're really talking about, it's not as simple as we'd like to make it. Um, I want to add, you know, to those who are listening and, you know, in that um, place where they do want to go on and they do are like, you know, dealing with all the, the BS that's going on um, is I think one of the things that I really liked because it spoke to me, it spoke to my heart is when um, Dr. Burks also like said how, how comfortable she became 
with the way she dresses and the way that had hair, you know, she let her hair that way. Because and this is personally spoke to me, to my heart, because I have to say, it's like, you know, I have similar hair. Like, you know, my hair is like spontaneous. It's it's curly. And 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 I always loved it and embraced it, but I never felt comfortable enough to let it be and be comfortable in my own skin until a few years back. Um, and I think I, I say, it's like, you know, once you hit 40, you become more emboldened, I think, and you become like even more comfortable in your skin. Um, and this is a huge step for me personally. It, it became a huge step. It's like, you know what? If I'm not comfortable with my own skin and if not comfortable with my own um, being, then I'm not doing myself a service. I'm not doing, I'm not being a good example to other people. And I think this is one, this is like a, a doable step that we can be to embrace ourselves, be genuine about how we, what we say, be authentic about how we conduct ourselves, just be you and be comfortable with you. And if people don't like that, then they're not, they don't like that. And you should be comfortable with other people not liking who you are. Uh, and it's easier said than done. I mean, if everyone can manage to do that, then we don't have a problem with anything. Uh, but I think it's one of the messages that we have to keep saying. You know, be yourself. Authenticity pays off and it's important. You can't keep fitting in just because other people want you to be that. And I think this is so significant. And this is this because it this is the point, I think, of the whole movie is assert yourself, stay where you are, fight where you are, and don't just stay and live with it. Stay and fight and and speak up to your truth and speak up to what is right. Um, you will encounter like microaggressions during your PhD studies. You know, I did um, face similar situations. Um, and again, everyone's lived experiences different. I had, I faced some, you know, microaggressions for different reasons, you know, and it's, it's, it's many of it. It's like, it's my accent. It's where I come from. It's, you know, my faith at the time. So there's so many different layers of this as well. And I wish, oh my goodness, I wish I knew what these are called at the time. I wish I knew that these comments or like, you know, that the, the eye rolls or, you know, the, the head shake or like, you know, ignoring what you said or not validating what you said. These are like cold microaggression. They have a name and they, are, they come from bias. I was 22 when I started my PhD, so I was really young and I wasn't as empowered as I feel I am right now. And if someone told me, you know, this is what you're going through, other people are going through it too, this is what you should do, I think the outcome of everything is would be different. And I didn't have anyone to tell me that. And I wish I was as strong um, at the time to say something. When it happened, instead, I just, you know, I took it, I brushed it off sometimes. I even like, you know, giggled at some of the comments I would say, because like, I didn't know what else to respond. And now I look at it and it's like, you know, I'm so mad at myself for not knowing better. And if there was anyone, and there was somebody, one, only one person during my PhD studies would tell me, but she was so in the struggle herself that she was never as clear as to where they are. Um, but she would say, it's like, you know what, it's okay. You know, you'll have to endure it. Um, you can talk to me when you need to. And, um, I think we both needed empowerment and we didn't have it. 
Um, so I think support and, you know, listening to a podcast like this, I guess, um, could have been a great way for me to recognize, oh, there is something wrong here and um, I need to talk to somebody. So you will face these uh, <laughs> these uh, unpleasant experiences, but um, stand your ground. I think one thing I heard there, I just you just said so much, Razan, that I think will help a lot of people to recognize, you know, when they are being harmed or um, treated disrespectfully or excluded in ways that um, are affecting their learning. Uh, I'm curious if you or Kelly, you know, what has been helpful during your training? What got you through your PhD and and into your career now? And, uh, you know, what would you recommend any specific types of people or resources or anything? It's a good question. Um, I, uh, I think about this in a couple of different ways, right? Like my master's degree, I was the only black woman in my cohort in the program, I think in the two years I was there, um, which was a rough experience. It's a field that's like not really diverse, right? So it's kind of to be expected. But then I think about my PhD experience and I had a much stronger cohort. It was small, but we were supportive. Right. And so I think that helps having, you know, and it was a very small cohort. Right. But um, not even a cohort, like every all the students in the program. So across all the years, um, I think we, we were able that was a supportive environment for me. Um, I think identifying faculty like, you know, I tell my son this in high school. Right. You know, who, who is the person you go to? Who where do you feel comfortable? Who do you trust? Who, you know, find that person or those people? And I think the same is true, you know, beyond high school, right? And in, in undergrad, grad school, um, at every level. So I think that's one thing. Um, I don't know. You have some thoughts, Suzanne? I was going to say, it's like, you know, I think I got uh, through the PhD and like, you know, uh, the early stages of my career by, you know, venting to my closest, you know, friends and coworkers that, you know, and I and to me, this is like a primitive um, way of support it's necessary but it's the uh, primitive I think you know the better word it's, it's the primary um, but it's not enough I think and again looking back at it like at the time it worked we vented we talked we cried we we you know we we said all the bad things about whoever we want to but at the time uh, now I'm looking at it um, we were all um unempowered and we just patched up our pains and you know helped ourselves feel better at the time but none of that helped us push the wheel forward you know we took it one day at a time we we felt better so it was like you know a, a painkiller but that's it and and that's I think it's not important just to find that support system it's important to find that change system as well you need someone who can help you out of that. Um, I remember also at the time I, I sought um, counseling. Uh, I talked to, to a counselor and that helped into seeing that this doesn't make sense. What you're going through, all the anxiety and all that stress you're going through is not okay. And at the time I brushed it off. I have to say, it's like, you know, no, a good PhD student would do better. Like, you know, this is how it is. 
it's the nature of the beast. Um, but I think um, I should have identified someone who can guide me, see the bigger picture even more. Uh, I agree with Kelly. Finding a faculty that looks like you, that uh, relate to you, and that genuinely empathize with what you're going through. The problem is, I, I don't think I have anyone who looked like me in the entire building, you know, let alone the program. So that was not an option. But for those who do have an option, find these people. They are there somewhere. Uh, and it could change the entire, you know, path for them. I have two. Oops, sorry. No, Go I'm ahead. sorry. I was just going to add two really quick things. I think sometimes, like you said, it can't be somebody who looks like you because that might not exist. But that doesn't mean that there isn't somebody who can be of some support. And I think um, the other thing I would say is beyond the PhD, I, I still feel like I need that, right? Um, every day I need that, you know, those different people, right? You need more than the one mentor. You need somebody sometimes for just this. Um, and so just, I guess, remembering that this is beyond the, yeah. the training phase, right? Yeah. I also had two comments. The first one, Razan, you are so hard on yourself. You did everything you could at the time with the skills and things that you had at that time and you made it through and that's amazing, you know, you know, and now you've learned and grown and get to offer this wonderful advice to, to others. Um, so I think it's great that you sought out the supports that you needed and, you know, maybe we can offer some tips and guidance for others, but like what I heard from both of you is like what rang in my head was mentorship at every, like every kind of mentorship. You need peer mentors that are like there to bounce off and vent with, and like, is this normal? Um, you know, kind of just with, with your, with friends and people that you trust and you need senior mentors that can help you make change if you want to, or navigate it in a strategic way. Um, if, you know, that's the approach that, that you want to take at that time, you know, but like really mentors at every level for lots of different things. And that's not something that anybody told me when I was younger. Like I thought of mentors as like a very like specific, like formal mentorship. Like I have a mentor for this thing that's assigned to me in this graduate program, but not like, oh, I could create my own mentor network of like four different aspects of who I am and, and what I'm doing. Um, and I think that that's actually maybe for me, I don't know if either or both of you agree with that. Like one of the most helpful things is like really thinking about who can be my support team, but like for maybe not everything, but like for a specific thing for research or for life or, you know, managing at this career stage, uh, anything. Um, I agree. And I think like one, <clears throat> one advice I also want to like add to all of this, um, is that, and you know, it, it was also said in the movie, uh, good people also have bias. So when you, whenever you are working, you may be working with people who at face value look like they're there for you. They're supportive of you, but it takes them to understand what you're going through to actually be supportive of your journey. They may not know. Um, and one thing you, you owe it to yourself is to speak up and, and explain. And it doesn't have to be in a congested way. Explain what you're going through. Explain what is wrong with the picture. If you see it's like, you know what, when you said that, this hurt me. This is a little bit offensive. Uh, we need to start building up the courage to speak up, even if it's uncomfortable. Tone and timing takes... Um, 
is critical when you, when you say these things, but you can, you can, you can do it. And uh, so always, even if you will have like a great advisor, even if you have great uh, colleagues, even if you have great support system professionally in the department, don't assume that they know what you're going through. One innocuous thing you could do is to like to explain, you know, I would like to say something, da, 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 this is what I'm going through. Uh, these things are triggering for me. So just explain yourself because I hate to say this and I'm not with people educating other people about what they should know. But at the same time, um, there's no harm in doing that. And this is the least you could do. If there's nothing else, uh, you have to, you know, make yourself visible, make your pain visible to other people, uh, because we need to get that, you know, learning wheel going uh, for these people who, and not for you, there will be other students coming in your place for the future, you know, you, uh, for other people in the program, do it for them. If you are able, like I think the caveat that I would put is that I know some people are in positions where, you know, uh, in graduate school, especially like your mentor kind of controls your future um, and, you know, or whatever's going on in, in your life, it may not feel like the right time. You know, even in the movie, they showed this one, one of the main stories that was highlighted, you know, she wasn't able really to speak up while she was a graduate student. And it took her until she was a tenured professor. Kelly, you highlight, talked about this story earlier. And like, you may not be able to at that time, but maybe you can find your peer network or find other ways that you can um, support yourself or understand how you can contribute if you want to. Or maybe there's somebody else, an ally or a friend that could um, help advocate for you. That That isn't always possible, but sometimes it doesn't always have to be you. I know that you're a strong advocate, Razan, um, but, I, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> and I, I agree in many ways, but I do. I, I know in some situations it can be really hard to be that person. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, and I think, you know, this is exactly where you see the difference between men and women, um, even when they are in uh, uh, delicate positions or delicate statuses, you know, women seems to be even more affected by by that uh, power um, mm. dynamic. Uh, so we are double worried about our status if we are graduate students. We're more worried if we are controlled by a supervisor who, you know, hold in his hands, you know, our future and our um, career. So, and that's, and that's why it's like, we have to probably double speak up, you know, if, if that's the case, but. Um, or maybe even triple, like I'm thinking probably for women of color there, I know um, that there's stereotypes that exist. Right. That uh, could compound that hesitation to speak up even more. Absolutely. I think, too, you know, there are institutional systems that are supposed to be in place to, to you know, provide these supports. And I, I see you all laughing because it's not always effective. Right. But I think sometimes we have to call these systems to kind of be what they're designed to be. Right. We need to kind of call them out and force them to live up to their um, purposes. Um, and and it, because I think in some ways, some of these can provide some protections for us. And I, so I think, you know, when we're thinking about when and how and where to um, to speak up and push back, we, we have to think about how to do so in a way that's safe, 
right? Or that, you know, we have to think about our own kind of life priorities and the potential blowback and impacts that it can have on us. And so sometimes it might mean finding, you know, where are the places that that um, that are supposed to have some kind of structure to address this? And how does it protect me in that process? Or does it, um, how, how can I, you know, kind of call it to be what it's supposed to be? But, yeah. I kind of like that final thought there. Like there are actually things that are supposed to be there to help students and learners. Um, yeah, that, find them. Yeah, find these systems, find these resources. Some people thing. online too, like your mentor might not be in your department or like your peer support system might not be there, but you know, now there's Twitter and you know, all kinds of networks available online. Any other thoughts or like takeaways? Would you recommend this movie to other people or to people in PhDs? Who would you recommend it to? Uh, I was texting while I was watching. (laughs) Now, I think, you know, colleagues, I think students for sure, right? Yeah, I agree. Students is a start. And I think this is one of the the things I like, um, you know, about being... Um, where I am right now with a PhD is that it gives you that to reach out to students and to reach out to people who you can give advice to and 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 sow the seeds of of change that you want to see. And um, what one of the things I like about this movie that I would like definitely to commend to students to see is that iceberg visual. I really liked it because it puts a picture in your head that every time you are dealing with something is that on on top of that at the bottom and if it's at the bottom of the iceberg um then there's so much of it and it's invisible and you're not alone with that struggle and i think it was um it's a great message that you're not alone there's so much going on and it could be overwhelming um so how does your iceberg look like and how can you you know address it how can you handle this how can you, how are you living with your iceberg so you know this is one of the things you know a small tool that you can keep looking at it and maybe if you do enough one day you can chip away on that iceberg or like you know deconstruct it or do whatever um so just you know keep 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 focusing on and keep visualizing uh your struggle using that metaphor thank you for joining us today Check out our other episodes to hear more. You can find the first season on YouTube under Washington University Program and Occupational Therapies channel under the First Fridays for OT Research playlist. And more episodes of Demystifying Research linked under the Research tab on the Washington University OT webpage at ot.wustl.edu. That's ot.wustl.edu. Send us your ideas for future episodes at demystifyingresearch at wustl.edu.